Welcome to Growing Boulder. Over the next 60 minutes, you're going to meet some people who will show us all how to get more out of life than we ever thought possible. People who have followed a dream or made some simple changes that started them on a journey and gave them the courage to open the door to some thoughts and opportunities that they probably never thought were possible or maybe had given up on long before. I'm Mark Middleton. That guy over there is Billy Schaefer asking you to give us one hour and see what happens. It's going to be an interesting hour, Mark. We've got a revealing conversation with comedian, writer, and activist Elaine Boozler on what it takes to make it in a male-dominated industry. We're going to talk to the Oscar and Emmy-winning actress Regina King, who's also been named to Time Magazine's Most Influential People in the World. And more people over the age of 50 are competing in athletic events than ever. We'll find out why from Kyle Case, who is the CEO of the Huntsman World Senior Games. But first, one of the world's leading experimental psychologists and best-selling authors, Steven Pinker, joins us. Amazing people with fascinating stories because this is Growing Bolder. I'm Bill Shaver with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Bolder, inspiring you to live a more fulfilling life as we age. You see, we're not getting the whole picture. Most everything that you see in the media, in society, about age, hammers home this picture that it's all about loss, decline, depression, disease. What happens to somebody when that's the only message getting through, especially when the message is wrong? I can tell you this, Bill, it is not pretty. Our next guest says that the same thing is actually happening to life in general. Obviously, we all live in some pretty crazy times. We've got racism, sexism, terrorism, wars, famine, murders, Shouldn't we as a society be finally past all of this? Kind of makes you wonder, are we getting better or are we getting worse? Steven Pinker is an experimental psychologist. He's a professor at Harvard, and he's been named one of the world's most influential thinkers. His new book, Enlightenment Now, tackles that very question. Great to have you today, Steve. So I guess in the big broad stroke, are we getting better or are we getting worse as a society? Oh, we're definitely getting better. Anything that, I mean, not, not uh, in every aspect of life, everywhere, all the time. It's not as if there's magic going on or a miracle. But yeah, we're, we're uh, living longer. We're getting better educated. Uh, poverty is going down. Uh, anything that you care to measure, uh, as opposed to getting your picture of the world through headlines, uh, you see that there, there uh, has been improvement. A lot of it is too gradual to ever make uh, page one of the news. But when you step back and you look at it, you see how much progress society has made, and the world even more so. Well, before we dive deeper into that, and you've done some great research that's really interesting and really makes all of us think, are we progressing as well when it comes to aging, living better, being vibrant or more relevant, or is that just a growing bolder view? Because we don't really hear that anywhere else. Oh, we ab- absolutely. Uh, you know, there, there are all these cliches, uh, you know, 70 is the new uh, 50 or the new 40, 80 is the new 60 and so on. And that, that's real. That's not just a question of attitude, but because of uh, improvements in our lifestyle, because of improvements in uh, medicine, because of improvements just in, in attitudes towards aging, um, we, we are living better longer. 
And it isn't just that we have more years before we die, although there is that, but um, something called quality-adjusted life years, qualies. Uh, that is, how long uh, do you live life at full capacity? Uh, that has been um, growing as well. So it's not just that we spend more, more of our lives debilitated, we spend more of our lives healthy. We're talking with Harvard professor and experimental psychologist uh, today, uh, Stephen Pinker. Uh, and Stephen, as, as human beings, uh, you know, we need autonomy. We strive for personal freedom. Uh, we love to make our own choices. But are we just too weak to really be able to make the right choices? Because it seems like so many of us do make terrible choices one after the other. Well, that's certainly true. And one of the prices of freedom is that it includes freedom to uh, screw up your life freedom to make bad choices, freedom to surrender to uh, fatal attractions and harmful temptations. And we haven't really figured out a way to, to uh, simultaneously have a society that allows us to make choices and the kind of social and cultural supports that help us make the, the, the right choices. So we've got you know, social media that can be quite addictive, but uh, we have to remind ourselves that face-to-face -face contact is essential for a, a well-rounded life. Uh, we've got uh, access to abundant, uh, uh, delicious food, but we've got to remind ourselves that you should not eat uh, as much as you want, whenever you want. Uh, we have cars that make it possible for us to effortlessly go to place to place in escalators and elevators. We've got to remind ourselves that uh, a little bit of exercise is good for the body and for the mind. So, yeah, we, and, and I don't think we have developed the, the cultural uh, workarounds for the, the temptations that technology has given us. Yeah, does that threaten, Steve? Does that threaten the progress that you say we've made? The internet, the talk radio, the 24-hour news, there's never, never been more noise out there, more clickbait. People, people will say anything. They'll even lie because the goal now is to get shared and go viral. Is that a threat to our progress? Well, it, it, it's, it's, there, there are always threats to, to progress because as things arise, it takes a while to figure out how, to, how best to deal with them. But it's not as if we had um, truthful, uh, accurate journalism in the past. There are a lot of fiascos in American history that came about because of uh, false stories that, had, uh, that were reported as fact by the journalism of the day. The explosion of the the, the, the U.S. USS Maine and uh, uh, that led to the, the Spanish-American War, the uh, reports of weapons of mass destruction in uh, Iraq just uh, uh, 15 years ago, the attack in the Bay of Tonkin in uh, Vietnam, which turned out to be based on on a, a phony report that helped helped uh, escalate the war in Vietnam. Uh, so it's never been easy to get at the truth, and there's never been an era in which we've had a, a direct access to the truth. There have always been conspiracy theories, and uh, in some ways there, um, there are channels now that can make it worse, but in other ways there, there are uh, means to deal with it. We have fact-checking uh, uh, organizations that didn't exist a couple of decades ago, and consumers of news are uh, becoming more demanding of fact-checking. Uh, it used to be that a paper would report a politician's speech without comment. Now uh, readers demand to know whether the claims that the politician has made are uh, stand up to, to, to fact-checking or not. So it's, it's a mixed picture, is what I'd say. I think there is a threat, but we also have ways of dealing with the threat, and we've got to be more energetic in applying those remedies. 
You know, I, I'm encouraged that a big thinker like you, Stephen, uh, apparently has a very optimistic view about who we are, where we are, and where we're going to go. It just seems like not that long ago, I, I naively thought, goodness gracious, that the Internet is going to be the great equalizer, you know, the barrier that brings down countries and, uh, you know, reveals the truth. I don't think any of us foresaw that the Internet would actually uh, change what the truth might be. I mean, th- that's what scares so many of us is, is that people are so quick to believe falsehoods that uh, the truth doesn't seem to matter much anymore. No, that's not true. Uh, if you, what, what's true is that we have a president who lies a lot, but it's a mistake to say uh, from that that the truth doesn't matter. I mean, it may not matter to him, uh, but it matters to a lot of people. So it's, it's a big mistake to take one lying politician and his followers and to say, well, no one cares about the truth anymore. Do we have a tendency to need to have a catastrophe in order to lurch forward, to progress? It seems like we know the environment's getting worse. We know we have all these issues. But unless we're really faced with something that threatens our day-to-day existence, we don't do anything. Well, it's... Um uh, that sometimes helps. It's, uh, there's the expression in politics, never let a crisis go to waste. Uh, sometimes it takes a, a crisis to rivet people's attention on a problem. Uh, you know, that, that's a bad habit. We should be able to spot problems before they turn into crises. But uh, that often is the way people um, uh, react to things and, uh, and implement change. Uh, you know, to, be, to be smart about things, we, we shouldn't rely on crises. But, uh, but yes, that, that's often the way it happens. Hey, one more thing before we let you go, Steve. What, what would you say overall is the, there's a lot of concepts in this book. What's the takeaway? What's, what's the overarching message that you hope we get from your book? Well, that, um, that morality consists of making people better off, giving them longer, healthier, happier, richer, freer lives, and that, uh, that, that if we set that as a problem to be solved, then, uh, then, then we can solve it, because our ancestors did, starting with the Enlightenment, and uh, that's what we ought to continue. So overall, things may be, Mark, a little bit better than we think they are when we sit and look at the day-to-day incidents that come on. The book is called Enlightenment Now. Our thanks to the always thought-provoking Stephen Pinker. Up next, whether you know what your passion is or are still trying to find it, here's proof that it sure can change your life. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Advent Health, introducing the Feel Whole Challenge, a 21-day program offering big improvements through small steps. Taking a walk, making a smoothie, changes that encourage whole person health. More information at feelwholechallenge.com. And by... The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio, preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com. He is one of the greatest keyboard players in rock history, so why don't you know his name? Patrick Moraz, who played for Yes and the Moody Blues, was never in it for the fame. Interesting guy. For him, success was measured in spontaneity, experimentation, and most of all, improvisation. See why he believes the same three ingredients are the key to living a full and adventurous life. 
Patrick. Yeah. How are you? Fantastical. <laughs> Unbelievable, man. Watching Patrick Mraz play is an unusual experience. You never know what you're going to hear, as he often makes melodies up on the fly. And as fast as his hands are, his mind is just as quick. A conversation with Mraz is an amusement park ride of consciousness, wit, and wisdom. I've had the the, the great um, uh, fortune, in a way, to be free enough to stay not only healthy but alive and alive with my mind and not be inhibited or uh, forbidden by some tasks or some rules or something. I, I still respect, of course, the rules of the game, you know, especially in music, you know. But uh, as I always said, you know, music is music and conversely, music is music. <laughs> And music has been his path to a pretty interesting life. He joined the band Yes in 1974, taking the place of the legendary Rick Wakeman. He was a great fit. Everyone was excited about the possibilities until it ended just two years later when Wakeman decided to come back. Eventually, Mraz took his wall of keyboards to the Moody Blues, where he continued to make a real connection with the audience. Some of my very best times on stage and playing the music uh, with Yes and playing, of course, with Moody Blues, with, with whom I, I was for 13 years, you know. But your time with Yes, when you replace a legend, people don't want to like you yet. Yes, fans say that what you did with Relayer was wonderful. I, I think they have a very good taste, you know. And, uh, and uh, of course, the, the, I mean, Yes was always one of my favorite, favorite bands since, actually, since they started in, uh, 50 years ago. One of the reasons Mraz has been able to survive in the music industry all these years is his ability to do what he's doing right now at an astonishing level, improvising. I don't only play music or compose music. I mean, I've, I've composed maybe more than, than 3,000 pieces of music so far, but uh, I, I still do and I still improvise as well, and I'm still able to compose in real time some, some music at any any given time. See, that, that, that's it. He says he believes the key for any of us to be truly creative is to not be afraid to use your brain, your entire brain. It's so easy to have the two parts of one of one's brain communicate, you know, with, with, with the two sides by doing very, very, some very, very simple uh, kind of things which I've developed, of, of course, over the years. And then also not be inhibited by exploring. Voila, that's it. That's the exploration of, you know, uh, new musical or artistic territories, you know. 
Perhaps most remarkable is that his desire to explore, whether we're talking about music or life, is just as strong as ever. How old are you now? Oh, I'm going to be... Uh, I'm going to be 74 in, 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 uh, in three weeks, actually, you know. <laughs> look at you. Look at your energy. Look at, look at your passion. It, it, did you ever think that this is the way you would be at 74? I, 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 I've never really thought about it, actually, you know. You don't feel 74, do you? No. It's interesting, the way you look at your music is also the way you live your life. What the next day is going to bring, it's another adventure. It's, right. it's, it's more unknown. It's the curiosity as to what's to come. What do you think the takeaway is? What can we learn from what you know about life? Since I, I come from Switzerland originally, uh, you know, the, the peace and the coexistence are, are, has always played an immense role in uh, my uh, creativity, because the epitome of creativity lies in the state of dynamic tension between extreme forces in a position. And the more extreme the forces, the more uh, creativity is uh, happening. So what you're saying is not to fear the tension. Right. Exactly. Not to fear the, the tough times that we have, because from that comes our next great composition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> man, I yeah, tell you what, man, you, you understand everything. Huh? Yeah. You're a great teacher. <laughs> it's fantastic. You have understood everything. You know, it's fantastic to, to have your questions and, and uh, to be able to talk about all this like that. You know, that's a great story. Patrick Moraz is definitely one of the most interesting musicians that Bill Schaefer has ever profiled. <laughs> and how about this quote? The epitome of creativity lies in the state of dynamic tension between <laughs> extreme forces in opposition, spoken like a physicist. It makes sense when you think about it. And here's one of my favorites, Mark. Music is music, and conversely, music <laughs> is music. And nobody makes music like Patrick. Up next, Regina King, one of the hottest actors in Hollywood, winner of three Emmys in the last four years. So where does she go from here? Straight to Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingboulder.com.
I'm Bill Shaver with Mark Middleton on Growing Boulder. Looked up an interesting statistic the other day, Mark. Do you know how many professional actors there are in this country? Well, there are 130,000 members of the Screen Actors Guild, some 70,000 more actively trying to get in. But just of those in the Guild, the unemployment rate is 90%, which makes the career of our next guest really remarkable. Yeah, she's not been only able to find work. She has found great work for 30 years and counting, starting when she was just a teenager on the sitcom 227. She moved on to the big screen for huge roles in films like Jerry Maguire, Ray, and Enemy of the State, and back on TV in American Crime, Big Bang Theory, and the Netflix series Seven Seconds. She's been awarded three primetime Emmys, the Critics' Choice Awards, several NAACP Image Awards, and her latest movie role may bring even more honors. It's a moving love story about the bonds that hold a family together. The name of the film is If Beale Street Could Talk, and our guest is the one and only Regina King. Hey, Regina, how are you? I am wonderful. How about that intro? Can you just do that like every morning for me <laughs> that would just... <laughs> boost boost me up when I don't want to get out of bed. <laughs> oh, my. Well, you know, that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you, because I think we all need to be boosted up every now and then, even the great Regina King. Uh, let's talk about this latest film, because it's based on a James Baldwin book. Oscar winner Barry Jenkins directed it. It's a story that absolutely will touch a whole lot of people. Tell us a little bit about your role. I play the mama bear, Mrs. Rivers. She is just a, a loving mother, um, and it sounds very simply put when I say loving mother, but the thing about it is, you know, she finds out that her daughter is uh, pregnant, and her daughter's young. She's 19, and usually when you see in film or TV a mother finding out information like that, it's it's not a supportive response. It's more of a why you have your whole life ahead of you and she doesn't she receives it with love and that just kind of sets the tone for the entire film it's it's a film about two lovers and all the love that surrounds them and, and regina is it true that you found inspiration for this role from your own mom, who re- sounds like a- an incredible person, a special ed teacher, one that raised you as a single parent, just as you're doing with your own son, how proud is she of you, and how much does that mean to you? It means the world to me. I mean, my relationship with my mother has always been mother-daughter. You know, like how sometimes you hear people say, oh, that's my best friend. It was when I became a mother that our relationship turned into, I, I, don't, I still have to find a way to say best friend, I think, diminishes. It, it, it makes it smaller. I just have always felt if I can even be 20% of the mother that my mom is to me, then my son will be okay. Um, she just always created a space for my sister and I to just dream big and dream with our hearts and our minds. So when you have that in abundance, you're, you're better prepared for what life can throw at you. 
Folks, we're talking to uh, Regina King. And, Regina, you, uh, a minute ago you said in your most current role you play a mama bear. Uh, and it seems like you play the mama bear almost better than anybody that I can recall because it is a similar role. I mean, very, very different. But you were definitely a mama bear and Jerry Maguire uh, in Enemy of, of the State. We're all trying to stay relevant and active uh, as we age. And, and, and I mean this in the most appropriate way. You come across as an attractive interesting, vibrant character in everything that you do. Uh, I would think that contrary to many women in their late 40s or early 50s in your industry, uh, you're still getting great roles and excited about the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I hope that I don't ever get to that place where I feel like I'm white knuckling, but I definitely feel like as I grow as a human being, my career is growing with me. And as, I'm try- as long as I remain true to that and not try to do uh, something that um, just doesn't speak to me personally and, not, and do something just because, oh, well, everyone says this is cool, um, I-, I will be okay. I'll-, I'll continue to do what I love until I don't want to do it. You know, you've always been driven to accomplish something bigger than yourself. You're directing now, and you're great at it. And there are so few women directors out there. Where does the drive come from, your belief in hard work and your desire to make a difference in other people's lives? Oh, gosh. I guess just for the life, you know. And I've, I really enjoy working with people, and I enjoy telling stories and As I matured, the understanding that I can be a part of the storytelling process in a much more involved way as a director-producer than I can as an actor. Not that I'm not fulfilled as an actor, but being in a position to create opportunities for people and myself is is stimulating. It's new. I may be... um, in my 40s, but I'm still a young director. <laughs> so I'm, I'm learning like every day that I'm on set or preparing for whatever project I'm working on, I'm learning something about myself. I'm learning something about the process. So it's exciting. Obviously, you've got a great deal of self-confidence and a lot of persistence. And we often think that in addition to being entertaining and inspiring, that many times one of the higher purposes of celebrity is for all of us to realize that everybody, no matter how successful they are, has to struggle, has to be persistent to continue. Do you mind me asking, Regina, what's been toughest for you to overcome in your life? When have you had to to dig deep and shoulder to move onward? Um, I mean, it's, it's several places, you know, personal life, you know, nothing is picture perfect, you know, going through a divorce, but still, um, I still have to take care of my family or, you know, or, uh, times earlier on in my career when just kind of got stuck in a hole and not able to advance or be, uh, even get an audition. But just knowing that, uh, just tapping into the God inside me and listening to that voice. And that's kind of what always helped push me through. That's what I was taught as a 
a young girl. So there are several uh, moments in my life that feel, um, I think dark is too strong of a word, but that, that, that are heavy, that feel like I'm in, I'm stuck in the mud. Sometimes the mud feels like quicksand, but you know, you pull yourself out and I guess more than anything, I, I say this a lot, it's finding the beauty in the bruises. So if you can find what made you stronger, what made you better, what did you learn from that? How do you apply that to the next thing or make sure you don't apply that to the next thing? Then uh, that quagmire that you were in, was it was worth it. You found the beauty in it. A really quick one before you go. You've evolved into such a role model. Can you give us a bit of a pep talk on how to put a little bit of Regina King philosophy into our own lives? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, you know, I just feel like I say the same things over and over again, but they're true. I would, I would say don't compare yourself to the person next to you. Like, that's not your story. That is not your story. You are creating your own story. And don't get distracted by someone else's uh, win or loss. You know, focus on your prize because it's there for you. We get caught up in what somebody else is doing so often. What a great conversation with one of the coolest, most inspiring people around. The film is called If Beale Street Could Talk. Make sure you check it out. And and what a great opportunity to get a little shot of wisdom from the always inspiring Regina King. Thanks, Regina. Up next, she was an up-and-coming comedian right alongside Jay Leno, Andy Kaufman, and Larry David. Find out what life lessons Elaine Boozler learned from them. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. You're listening to Growing Boulder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton. We're about to talk to someone named one of the 50 best stand-up comics of all time, wow. Mark. She's a keen observer of people, someone who has not only had a first-hand look at the beginnings of some of the careers of some of the greatest comedic talents ever, but she's become one herself. And on the way, Mark, she inspired an entire new generation of people to pursue lives in comedy. Yeah, this is very exciting for us. She's a great performer and a writer. Uh, this is someone with a level head and a laser-sharp wit, uh, but maybe her her greatest passion is her desire to make a difference, which is why she founded an organization called Tales of Joy about 20 years ago that continues to raise funds to help animal rescue groups. So what's she up to today? Well, she just released a box set of four of her favorite stand-up specials. It's called Timeless. Let's say hello to Elaine Boozler. Elaine, how are you? 
Ah, that was so beautiful. I'm weeping. I would say my mother wrote it, but she hated me. So that I think you guys wrote it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we we want you to like us. It usually uh, results in a better interview, but it's all true, and we're we're happy uh, to say it and proud to have you. Tell us a little bit about Timeless. So, uh, what did you choose to include, and, and why now was the time to release it? Well, interestingly, I put in the four specials that kind of changed the paradigm of comedy when they came out, and it's uh, Party of One, Live Nude Girls, Top Tomato, and Broadway Baby, and along with those four specials is my brand new CD called The 50-50 Club, so it's five hours of comedy, and if you buy it on Amazon, it's twenty seven eighty three. but what Tales of Joy does is give $25 back from your purchase to the animal rescue organization of your choice anywhere in the country. So you're getting five hours of really good comedy for under three bucks, and you're saving some lives. You just email elenatalesofjoy.net with your uh, Amazon receipt and tell us which rescue you want us to support, and we make the $25 donation in your name. The reason I did it was because I started listening to my specials again and said, these could have been written yesterday. If I wasn't known and I put these out, I'd be somebody. <laughs> so the great part is that they're so current. The sad part is that the comedy about politics is exactly the same. Nothing has changed. So please, everybody, vote, vote, vote. There you go. Elaine, did you say at the beginning of this interview that your mother didn't like you? No. <laughs> It's okay. She didn't like anybody. Uh, you know what's funny? We find you know, a growing boulder. One of the fears people have as they age, sometimes fear, is that they become their parents. Yeah. Are you becoming yeah. your parents? I became my next door neighbor. Uh, I thought she was a good mother. <laughs> and I like Joey sang around the house, so that's what I do. Um, no, I'm uh, I'm not. But in the, in the, some of the specials I was when I was younger, uh, becoming my mother, and there are some great jokes about it. But um, no, I think you have to you know choose your uh, choose your role models carefully as you grow up, and you know be the best that you can be. Hey, speaking of role models, it's easy for people to forget that when you started in this business, it really, it really still was an all-boys club, and in a lot of ways, it, it, it still is. How much harder oh, gosh, was it? Have we circled back? How much harder was it back for you? Or what? For Elaine, how much harder was it for you than it should have been? And do you think that it's easier now? Well, you know, apparently what I'm hearing from so many goyles around the country is it's it's bad again. So that's kind of sad. Um, you can't say what it should have been. You know, it just doesn't work that way. Um, I will say that the day I stepped on stage for the first time in 1972 in New York, well, actually, maybe it was three. It was very close to 73. Anyway, the audience was just ready. Like, from the minute I opened my mouth in 1973, it was a dream. They were so ready for this. I was 20 years old. I was a, a girl trying to be pretty and smart and not, you know, tear my skin off. And it was just perfect timing. The audience was great. The, there were so few comics because it wasn't a business yet. It was more of a hobby, like folk singing or, you know, story, story <laughs> theater. So the guys were great. You know, it was great. The only bad part was kind of the dinosaur men in the business. And that's always true in politics and in corporate uh, jobs and anything. The old guys who are in power who don't want things to change. And unfortunately, you know, those shoes on my neck really never got lifted. And, you know, sometimes I get a little upset thinking about it. But 
hey, I have no complaints. You know, I was lucky to get anywhere, and uh, I'm, I'm glad it's better now. You're certainly seeing more people. I, I guess I have to compare it to being African-American in a way. I mean, yes, slavery is gone, and people get hired, but then you look at, you know, all this ugliness rearing its head again, and when people say, do you think it changed for women, I just say, why don't you ask black people? I mean, <laughs> what it is is eternal vigilance. You know, it's eternal vigilance. We're talking with Elaine Boozler, uh, named one of the 50 best stand-up comics of all time. And, and, and Elaine... Yeah, that was a pretty funny speech, I thought. And, uh, uh, <laughs> well, well, you know what? For me now. You know, that's the interesting thing <laughs> about... TED Talk. Well, you know, and, and I would guess that every one of the top 50 comics of all time could give a TED Talk, because that is, is, is a common denominator, you know, an interesting bent on what is actually happening in our culture. So let me ask you this. Have we lost our sense of humor? I mean, there's some well-documented cases. You just called a dinosaur old man. You can get away with that these days, but there's many things you cannot. I mean, I don't need to name the, you know, the Kathy Griffins and the Roseanne Bars, and uh, there, there seems to be a limit to what we can say these days, even in a comedy context. What do you think about that? Well, I don't really think it's changed, and I don't think there's a limit. I think the limit is exactly what the limit has always been. It's just that with social media, you see it immediately and, you know, your life can change on a dime. Yet people say, what's offensive? What can't you talk about? I think there are some comments who'd be offensive talking about the weather. You can't blame the subject. People say money is the root of all evil. You're blaming the subject. The Bible actually says love of money is the root of all evil. So whatever the subject is, what light are you bringing to bear? What openness? What, what depths are you plumbing? What, you know, if you're going to leave people better what do you have to say about it and and look you got to use your head when you're making a statement i mean roseanne you know that was just ugly and she should know better she's a professional comedian uh i think whatever you're about to say unless you're here to burn it down you want to burn it down then say your stuff but you know don't complain if you get singed you did it you know but but everything else i mean there's an art to saying anything and if you want to leave something beautiful behind and maybe shed some light then you know what you have to do and you can say anything you want to say and make any point you want to make we talk a lot uh, elaine about how important it is to to follow your passion no matter who you are or where you are in life so tell us a little bit about tales of joy not from an administrative standpoint but why was that a topic that that pulled at you so much that it, it got you to decide to really as they say in the dog world dive in with all fours you know, no one's ever asked me that in my whole 20 years of running this organization. So thank you. And um, basically, I remember about 30 years ago on the road, I jumped in a taxi and the driver was near tears. And I said, well, what? And he said, oh, we have a golden retriever and she needs a surgery, but we I have three children and we're going to have to let her go, put her down. We can't do this. Well, I didn't have any money then and I couldn't help the guy, but I thought if I ever get any money. And so we are, I don't think anybody does what we do. It's the tiniest little rescue group. You know, I, once I started really investigating the, the bloated Humane Society of the United States, HSUS, you know, they, they're, they're not a rescue organization. People think they are. They save no dogs or catch. They're a lobbying organization. They pay millions in salaries. And people think when they donate their $50 a year to them, they're saving animals. Truly, they aren't. And a lot of money goes to administration. We are all volunteer. We only support all volunteer other rescues. And sometimes it's three ladies in Ohio saving more cats in one year than the HSUS ever did in its entire run. So no one's going to help them. They can't get grants. 
ranch. They're too tiny. Literally, the animals that would fall through the cracks and break your heart are the ones we save. Sometimes we're helping one person. Um, sometimes it's a three-person rescue. But And then we get the emergencies every day by email, a dog hit by, uh, by a car in Texas. You know, uh, just at least let us get the x-rays to see. And, and we just const- – all my husband hears me do on the phone is read my credit card to vet in 50 states every day. And that's how we do it. Uh, Elaine, thank you for your insight and your attitude and your heart. Folks, you can learn more about Tales of Joy and about this great comedy release called Timeless and where she's appearing as well by going to ElaineBoozler.com. A a great, robust, and inspiring chat with, with a great person. Thanks, Elaine. Up next, are you interested in competing in the Huntsman World Senior Games? Well, after you listen to their CEO, you just might be motivated to get training. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Advent Health, introducing the Feel Whole Challenge, a 21-day program offering big improvements through small steps, like a daily walk, making smoothies, changes that encourage whole person health. More information at feelwholechallenge.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. Mark Middleton along with Bill Schaefer, and this is Growing Boulder. And you know, Bill... There's something happening worldwide that we experienced firsthand not long ago, and that's the amazing growth of interest and participation in senior or master sports. And, you know, really call it what you will, but there is a rapidly growing number of men and women from 50 to over 100 now who participate year-round in everything from swimming and track and field to pickleball and horseshoes. It's incredible, and it is absolutely inspiring And participation, Mark, that's the right word, because when we covered the National Senior Games in New Mexico, and while it is a major competition, you know what else? It's obvious that for a lot of people, it was more about simply participating, being a part of it. Yeah, there were some incredible athletes there, but there were also people that are just trying to stay healthy or recover from a physical setback or lose weight or whatever. The common denominator seemed to be a desire to improve their overall health and well-being, and to hang out with like-minded people. Yeah, who doesn't need more of that? In fact, there were over 13,000 competitors in 20 sports, which is an all-time record for a multi-sport event for 50-plus athletes. But now, folks, get ready for the Huntsman World Senior Games, which are coming up in St. George, Utah. They are expecting athletes from dozens of countries all over the world. And we want to find out more about this growing phenomenon from Kyle Case, who is an in-demand speaker on active aging. He's the host of the weekly podcast, Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life, and he's the CEO of the Huntsman World Senior Games. Kyle, welcome to Growing Boulder. 
Thank you so much. What a, what a pleasure to be here with both of you. Well, we're excited to chat with you. And before we talk more specifically about your upcoming event, there is the National Senior Games that we just attended. There's the World Masters Athletics Championships and, of course, the World Senior Games that you host, all of which are growing rapidly. Other than the aging population in general, Kyle, what do you attribute that to? Why are so many people drawn to these events? I think you you guys both hit on it, just just the, hit the nail right on the head. I think there's a lot of just uh, momentum behind this concept of active aging, of you know seizing life, and and you know that the idea of of growing older versus growing bolder, I think, is very much alive and well, especially in this generation that's hitting that 50 year old mile marker and uh, and above. And um, we we see it at our event all the time. Uh, just like you said, there's there's a lot of, you know, desire for the competition. Um, that's certainly a motivator that drives people. There's no question about it. We're we're competitive creatures, but there's also so much more to the, um, you know, that sports movement uh, that encompasses the the friendship, the camaraderie, the participation, the just being healthy, the the active aging aspect of it that I think is just very, very appealing. And we, we do see it at our event. We, we see those people who come who have been participating in a particular sport for their entire lives, and they're very good at it, and they're looking to set national and world records. And those, those people are amazing, and they're inspirational. We also see the people who just barely retired from a successful career. Their kids are growing up, and they're looking for a new hobby, and they decide, hey, why not the javelin? You know, I've seen the Olympics. That looks fun. I'm going to give it a try. And uh, those people are just as inspiring in their own way as well. And I just, I just think, as you said, there's just a movement. There's a movement, and we're excited to be a part of it. And, and even at that, Kyle, your event, the Huntsman World Senior Games, is so unique, even out of the rest. It's, first of all, the largest annual multi-sport event in the world for athletes over the age of 50. And you host 30 different sports. And as we were looking over the list, man, this really caught our eye because it's not just the things you'd expect like swimming and track and field, but it's some other sports too, like lawn bowling, cowboy action shooting, bridge and shotgun sports. How do you decide which sports to have? And boy, do you have a ready-made group of people that want to compete in those? You know, that's a great question. And uh, with 30 different sports, we like to think that there's something for everyone. We we do some market research, you know, to some degree. We try to make sure that there is a, a market out there, that there's a group of people that are interested in not only in competing, but also are willing to travel to compete um, because uh, it it does require some travel to get here and be a part of the Huntsman World Senior Games. Um, but, yeah, we, we have found that, um, you know, with this diverse group of people that are over 50 that are looking to be active and stay engaged and and participate fully in life, that they want to do a wide variety of things. And so we've tried to, to offer some diversity to those people. Um, you mentioned the, the very traditional Olympic-style uh, high school and college sports that we offer. But we do have some unique offerings as well that I think just really en- enhance the event. And for those people who are passionate about those sports that maybe aren't the first ones that come to mind when you say the word sport, uh, this is a great opportunity and a great experience for them to have some of that same 
experience that those who participate in the traditional sports get to feel. It's it's very easy to find a a, a 5K race out there, or maybe even a swim meet or a track and field event. Uh, those are amazing, wonderful events, and we offer uh, some of those here as well. But we want to provide an opportunity for anybody who wants to get off the couch and get out and live life and just engage fully in the uh, in the movement and the active aging movement. We want to provide an opportunity for as many people as we possibly can. And so we do have a few sports that might not uh, be familiar to people and that might be a little surprising to some when they see the list. But we talk to people all the time that have started their sporting career that are now in their 80s but started in their 60s and they're just loving it and if there's a message or a lesson that can be learned from that idea it's that it is not too late find something try something out if that doesn't fit for you try something else out but you can definitely be a part of that movement of this movement and it's never too late it's never too late and Kyle, I think you just wrapped it up for us perfectly. But but if, but is there is there a takeaway that you can leave us with? Is there something that Kyle Case has learned from your experience with these athletes that has nothing to do at all with sports or athletics? I mean, what's the moral of the story that uh, you know when you speak to people about active aging? You know, what is the, the maybe the most important nugget to you? I, you know, aside from the sports and the inspiration, because that is so motivating for me. I, I turned 45 this year, so I'm getting closer to be able to compete in this event. And, you know, there's, there's a mental shift that happens there for sure. But I find that I find the inspiration and the motivation in these athletes and the way that they go after their sport. There's no question about that. But aside from that, I would say the thing that really stands out to me the most from what I've learned from interacting with some amazing people from all around the world is the friendships. Um, man, I have just been able to to make friends with people from different countries, from different states, from different cities that have been impactful and meaningful in my life. And we've celebrated life events together, everything from uh, you know weddings and, and birthdays, and we've we've comforted each other in difficult times when uh, you know loss of a spouse or, or death of a loved one. And, and I, I wouldn't have been able to have these. Uh, connections and these friendships and these relationships without being involved in the event that I'm in. And it just reiterates to me how crucial the social aspect has to be as we move forward and as we grow bolder and as we age actively. You know, we've got, we've got to keep We've got to keep track of and take care of our bodies, but socially we need to stay engaged. And if I have learned anything from these athletes, that's the thing. When they talk about what's the great thing about this event that you love, it always comes down to the friendships and the camaraderie, and and it just reiterates to me how important that aspect is as well. It's a great point. It's one of the most inspiring and empowering things, not just that you can do, but it's an inspiring and empowering environment to put yourself in with. You had over 11,000 athletes last year, all like-minded people, all positive, smiling, wanting to do the best, wanting to challenge themselves and wanting to look for their next big adventure. Kyle Case, CEO of the Huntsman Senior Games, thank you for this invigorating conversation. And folks, Get involved in this. Take a step towards it. If you're interested in learning more, all you have to do is go to SeniorGames.net. You can sign up or you can just figure out what you can do to start your journey towards making that trip to St. George, Utah. Thanks so much to Kyle Case.
Well, we have heard from some pretty amazing people with inspiring messages on this program. So now it's time for you to take the next step. What about it? What's your Growing Boulder story? What do you want it to be? It's up to you to think about it and then find a way to start to live it. And here's how you get going. Go to growingbolder.com and check out the incredible menu of items where you can watch videos, listen to interviews, subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine, read Mark's life-changing book, Growing Boulder, Defy the Cult of Youth. Go to Facebook and check out the Growing Boulder page there. It's time to surround yourself with energy and optimism and inspiration. Don't be okay anymore with just going through the motions. Take control and start living your life to the fullest because that's Growing Boulder. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting. All rights reserved. This program was recorded live at Growing Boulder's studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Director of Technology is Joshua Doolittle. Chief Audio Engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day.